for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. We're in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just have a quick poll. How many of you read the NIV? Oh, there's quite a few. How many of you read the ESV? How many of you read the New Living Translation? A few. How many of you read the Message? There's a few. Okay. Anybody read the American Standard Version? Well, okay, that's... yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's quite a range of Bibles, and that's one of the challenges that we face sometimes when we speak, and we tend to, to traditionally, I was going to use that word, tradi- I have used that word, haven't I, by saying it, uh, use the English Standard Version. I tend to flip between about four or five different versions, and, um, and I find out that uh, that is quite helpful. So I'm going to be reading as I go through this morning's message from the New Living Translation, which is the, the, the revised edition, which I believe was somewhere around 2004, 2007, which is much more literal than the... Anybody ever read the New Living Bible, the Old Living Bible? Do you remember that green padded one? Yeah? Which was very good, but they said, don't build your doctrine on it because it was a bit loose in places. Well, the New Living Translation today is a much better translation and fits well with, with many, many others. So here we are. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read passage, the passage as we go through, because this is a big chapter. So I'm going to read different parts as we go through this particular chapter this morning. It's, it's a great chapter. So throughout this letter, Paul has been slowly challenging and redirecting the hearts and minds of his hearers. And here in chapter 15, we, we come to the top of the mountain, as it were. We, we come to that vantage point from which it, it all begins to make sense. Uh, we, we, we come to that point which is both the climax and the crescendo of what we might call his theological thinking. It is the key that unlocks and explains Paul's thinking and forms the basis for his understanding of the kind of lives that you and I should be living. And on this particular hinge, everything else hangs. If Christ has not been raised then none of what Paul has said, none of the New Testament makes any sense. But as we have been singing and saying this morning, he has risen, and he is risen indeed. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally transforms everything. And if there's something that I would like you to go away with this morning, it is the sense of what Christ has done, because this is what this particular chapter is all about. Now there are two problems, and the first problem is death. And it's the thing that you don't bring up in the office, and it, sadly it's the thing that even Christians don't like talking about. It is that thing that kind of gets postponed till the last minute when suddenly it faces us right there, it stares us in the face, and we are wondering what to do with it. Even Christians, I have found, wondering, what do I do with death? Now, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said this. He said, of those who died in the Lord, he said, our people die well. And that is because they understood what Jesus had done. That is because they understood his death and his resurrection. Therefore, they could die well. And I love stories of of, of the death of the saints. There are some marvelous ones out there. And in the course of my life, I've 
I've heard some of them. I've heard people encountering uh, dark episodes as they approach death because the enemy is still there fighting to the end. But I've seen Jesus' victory come through right there in those moments. And I've seen it with my own father. A great contest over his own spiritual life. But then he died. When he died, the last thing he said to one of my brothers was, I'm safe in the arms of Jesus. Wow. You see, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection changes everything. But the big thing that that stared humanity in the face since the fall is death. Our very mortality. And we are doing an awful lot to try and extend that mortality. Our average age is so much better than it was 150 150 years ago when it might be in the 40s, early 50s at the most. Now most of us can expect to live in the the West well into our 80s. But we are still mortal. We will all die. To deny the resurrection is to empty the gospel of any power to save or transform or provide any hope for the future. And let's be honest that without God, without Christ, the future is pretty bleak. Uh, I don't know whether any of you are familiar with Stephen Hawking, but he says this, he says, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is how he views humanity, that when we die, we are simply a broken down computer. And the fairy story is for people who are afraid of the dark. You see, he's got something wrong. We are more than a broken down computer. We are made in the image of the eternal God. And that makes all of the difference. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know you are made in the image of God and you are not a computer? We are not computers. We will not be confined to some rubbish tip somewhere. There is a glorious hope that awaits the Christian. And so we have Paul's opening statement. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Without the resurrection, what proceed in the way of suffering and death, however loving, has absolutely no significance whatsoever. The suffering and death of Jesus will be no different to the next man. And that's one of the reasons why I struggle with what, I, what is in many ways a lovely song. And you are familiar with it, and we have sung it. The cross has said it all. Because actually the cross has not said it all. If we say the cross has said it all, all we've got is a saviour dying on a cross and going into a grave. The gospel is far more than that. So that song may be good in many ways and calls us to reflect on the death of Jesus Christ, but the line, quite honestly, is simply incorrect. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes all the, gospel, all, 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 all the difference. It is the gospel. 
He has not only come, He has not only died, He has risen again from the dead. And that should deserve a hallelujah. You know, I love the stories of, of C.S. Lewis and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe fits in there. And you know how that in that story it is said that it is always winter, it is never Christmas. It is always winter, it is never Christmas. A bit more on that as we go along. But that is what it is to be without the resurrection where we are confronted with the darkness of this life, the depravity of it, and the fact that it leads us down into death. No matter how good a person may say they may be, they are not good enough and it will always lead to death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have death. It confronts every one of us uh, and will do so. Then secondly, we have the issue of the body and soul. The problem was that the Corinthians here were still thinking like the Greek world in which they found themselves in how they understood body and soul. The soul was immortal. The body wasn't. The soul was good, but the body was bad. And this impacted a a lot of their thinking and their practice. And it's something Paul challenges throughout his letter. In their thinking, if they were going to be, in their thinking, if they were going to be without their body, it didn't matter what they did with it. It was an irrelevance. Go and sin and do what you like with your body. It is just going to perish. But look after your soul because that is immortal. And Paul in this chapter says an emphatic, no, 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 you've got it wrong. You see, what we think affects the way we live. Bad doctrine leads to bad practice. That's why we love to teach the truth. That's why we love to expound the scriptures. That's why the word of God says that all of us need to to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. They have been corrupted. We need to think differently. We need to think biblically if we're to live effectively and die gloriously. It's strange, but within humanity there's a sense that this isn't the whole story. That when we die, it's, it's not the end. Sometimes I look at obituary columns and I see the kind of the vague hope there. That whether a person is, whatever, whatever their background, it's like something, there must be more than this. We of all creation long for hope feel that there there must be more than this. And in the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, verse 11, the word of God says that he has set eternity in our hearts. There's no other way to explain it. That God has set eternity in the human heart. That is why we have some expectation that goes beyond this life. That is why we, we are looking for something more beyond that step of death. That somehow it is not not the finality. Somehow there must be more than this. But for some people that more is sad. It's like the glitter out there somewhere. It's like the wind blowing. It's like being a star, another star in the universe. Some of the things I have heard at funerals shock me. They're sentimental. I hope that doesn't sound hard, but we need to deal with truth here. We need to deal with what the Word of God says. I could read you some of it, but I won't. What we need to be is rooted in the Word of God and to be able to think biblically with regard to death 
and eternal life. The resurrection of the God-man Jesus Christ was the most dynamic and potent event in all of history. Get that. It was. It wasn't simply his birth. A lot of people this Christmas will celebrate his birth, but the most potent event was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? It doesn't just relate to a past or a future event, but it also impacts us in the here and now. Resurrection doesn't just relate to Jesus, but but also to the fact that the new has already broken in to the present in him. Hallelujah. And it is being experienced by his followers. Something that is experienced now among his body and is also sure and certain of hope of that which is to come. Eternal life with God. Pam and I were reading this morning in 1 Peter about a living hope. Hallelujah. There are a lot of people out there who have a hopeless hope. Who have a groundless hope. But we have a living hope. Amen? Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, have you got a living hope? You see, the hope that we have is not that kind of vague, oh, I hope so. It is a very real and a very certain hope. Hallelujah. Praise God. The early church was both a kingdom and a resurrection movement. Nothing else can explain its dynamic. And we're going to pick up a little bit on this as we go through the chapter. And so here he says, let me remind you. Now we have known from the beginning of getting into this book that they thought they had all knowledge. They thought that in fact they could do without Paul and his teaching. So the fact that Paul having to say here, let me remind you yet again... Because several times through this letter, he has said to them, don't you know? Don't you know? As if they should have known. And they should have known. But they were claiming some spiritual, mystical knowledge that was above and beyond. And Paul comes along and says, you haven't got it. You need to know these facts. And so this sense of reminder here in the, in the Greek carries that same sense of, of, of knowledge. Let me remind you, or I declare to you, Now, they were into knowledge. They thought they possessed it. And elsewhere in his letter, he's used those similar expressions. And of immediate concern, no doubt if you read this, immediate concern for some will be the words, unless you believed in vain. Now, I want to say right up front, this is not a questioning of anyone's salvation. What it is, though, is a questioning of the message. Unless you have not believed the proper message. In other words, the message that Christ has risen. Because without that, the gospel is empty. There is no forgiveness. There is no hope in the present or in the future. So it's a question over, okay, uh, have you really believed the true gospel? The gospel that I presented before you? Or have you been swayed and moved away from the the full hope that is in the gospel? If 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 you don't, you have no gospel left And no saving message, you empty it of its power without the resurrection. And so he says here, he says, I passed on to you what was most important or what I received, depending on which version you're reading there. So this wasn't something that Paul had made up. It was something that he had received. And it was something that was rooted 
in the eternal purpose of God himself, right back before creation. And we need to remember that the impact of the gospel on Paul, we need to remember who Paul was, that the story he's unpacking, this this global story, this gospel story, has impacted somebody who you could never have imagined. He was a, a... a restorationist. He was one of those guys who was looking for the restoration of Israel. He was looking for the, the fullness of the kingdom of God and he was looking for it in a particular way. But then he encounters Jesus Christ and he finds the king and the kingdom in an entirely different way. A way that was to transform society and have its impact right through the, down through the generations to our day and age. One of the things that we need to remember because the world loves to rewrite the story, is the impact of Christianity upon the nations of the earth and the good that Christianity has produced. There are a lot of people who are out there who will say negative things, but the impact of the Christian message as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is huge. It's massive. And that would be a message in and of itself. It's one of the things we we touch in one of the sessions in, in Word Plus. So Paul has encountered Jesus Christ himself and he has been transformed. And so he says, I, 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 rec- I pass on to you uh, that which I have received. And then he begins to talk about, uh, according to the scriptures, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. He was a sinner, and he needed Jesus Christ to save him. And he had encountered God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. So, it was according to the Scriptures. This wasn't just proof texting, but it was the the prophetic word, God's eternal purpose in creation and redemption. Jesus brings it all back on track. Hallelujah. We need to know that, that Jesus has brought it all back on track. The kingdom of God had arrived and was being experienced. The new age had broken into the old in Jesus and it had been judged and it was passing away. Wow. And so he says he appeared, last of all to me, he appeared also. And we shouldn't underestimate Paul's testimony there as a Pharisee, as a restorationist. And uh, Ian Blakelock says this, he's a professor of classics at Auckland University, he says, I claim to be an historian. My approach to classics is historical. And I tell you that the evidence for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of human history. Hallelujah. Dr. Edwin M. Yamuchi, uh, Associate Professor of History in Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, says this. He said, what gives a special authority to the list of witnesses as historical evidence is the reference to most of the 500 brethren being still alive. St. Paul says, in effect, if you don't believe me, 
Go and ask them. (laughs) Such a statement in an admittedly genuine letter written within 30 years of the event is almost as strong evidence as one could hope to get for something that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. Brothers and sisters, we can have every confidence in this book. We can have every confidence in the story that unfolds there, in its message today in 2015 and beyond. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, as a result of this gospel that was preached, there was a powerful resurrection movement that developed. And again, that would be something that we could dig into for 20 minutes, half an hour or more. But we do need to understand Israel at the time. We do need to understand the fact that there had been numerous messiahs and, and they had come and gone and, and, uh, and so the, the job fell to somebody else, etc., etc. And, and so we need to understand all of that. And so when we begin to look at this story, there has to be some reality to the fact that Jesus Christ rose in order to transform such a, a small and timid group of individuals into a powerful force that was to impact the whole of the Roman Empire and ultimately the globe. This wasn't just another Messiah story where Messiah came along Said, said a few good words and maybe done a few things and then died in some kind of hope and that was the end of the story. This was different. And it was this difference that impacted, impacted these individuals. This Messiah had risen from the dead. He had been seen by numerous people, individuals and groups of people. He was alive. And it transformed them. Messiah had come. Previous ones had come and gone. They'd faded into the background or transferred it to another follower. But in this case, Jesus was alive. Hallelujah. What verse? We're, we're, <laughs> you can look that one on Acts chapter 4, verses 2 and, verses two and 10. Uh, but we're looking at those verses there to do with resurrection and, and him being seen. Corinthians 1, one uh, 15 verses 1 Th- uh, sorry, 3 to 11. 3 to 11. 1, two, one, one 3 to 11. We will, um, we're still on the resurrection one about the appearances, okay? <laughs> sorry, I'm moving quickly because I'm... This is a big chapter. And it's an exciting chapter. Yeah, good to, good to stay together on it, okay? So, so in verses 9 to 11... We have his personal testimony, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me, his grace on me, and not without results. You see, where the grace of God comes, there is always an outworking. Always. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it wasn't I, but it was God who was working through me by his grace. And so grace actually not only saves us, it energizes us to live. To live in this overlap of the ages where we are confronted by the powers of darkness in all sorts of different ways. Whether it be at work or whatever the situations and circumstances. The grace of God saves. The grace of God energizes. And Paul knew that saving and energizing grace. 
It had transformed him and enabled him to preach the gospel. And then he goes through in the next few verses from verse 12, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles, we, we will be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And so he goes through that series of this. If, 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 if. And he basically says, if that's the case, we have no gospel. We have lied to you. You have believed in vain. You're as lost as the next man or woman. But, oh, how I love a but. Eh? Do you love a but? Yeah, oh yeah. Verse 20, but in fact, I love that, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? But in fact, he has been raised. In other words, he is alive. He is alive and my third point here is never underestimate what God has done in Jesus. Never, ever underestimate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's just phenomenal. Christmas is a good time of year to start thinking about it if you haven't. Christ has been raised and as such is the first fruits. The curse has been met and undone. Creation is being restored and we are now united with him and part of the kingdom that has come and is coming. Back to the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. Everybody familiar with the story? No? Oh, go and watch it this Christmas. Get the book if you prefer to read the book. I was actually talking to somebody recently and and, uh, in fact it was at Word Plus and I, I mentioned it. And I mentioned it in a spiritual context, and someone said, I, I've seen that, I, I, I've read that. I never realized that was what it was about. And that was a Christian saying that. So, anyway, so the curse comes on the land through the white witch, and everything is winter. Everything is frozen. Life is hard. Life is difficult. But there is a, there is a prophecy there is a prophecy. Prophecies have told, foretold the end of the witch's reign. One day, the great Aslan will return to Narnia. Oh, yes. Don't you just love the rising of Aslan in the story? Yeah. And this is it. This is the prophecy. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. It's great, isn't it? Absolutely great. We should never underestimate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And you see... 
there was a journey going on here for those first disciples. There was a journey going on for Paul because they had a certain conception, a certain understanding how things were going to unfold prophetically. And what happens is revelation comes in Jesus Christ and we see it unfolding in stages. So it's not that the kingdom comes in one big foul swoop, but it comes in stages. And so when you look at this particular point here, we we need to understand that when Jesus was born, he was born in the likeness of man. We want to kind of separate him from this stuff and make him, as it were, somehow untouched and untouchable by this stuff. But the scripture tells us that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He comes into our place of weakness. He comes here and he knows what it is to be tempted in every way as we are. We must understand that God became a man in Jesus. A real man, a true man. A man who could be tempted in every way as we are. And day by day, he fought the powers of darkness. He confronted them and he was tempted and he beat temptation. He overcame day after day. He submitted his life to the Father. He heard from the Father and he did what the Father was saying. And ultimately, it led him to death, to death on a cross. And he went down into that death as both God and man. And he bore all that was wrong about us. And he went down into the very curse itself, death. Can you imagine it? The Son of God going down, down, down into death. But he goes there because of the curse. He goes there to pay the price for all our sin. He goes there to break the power of the curse and bring spring once again to planet earth. Hallelujah. And so he goes down into death and he dies for us and he, he, he then, having paid that price, he rises again as a victorious conqueror. And we need to understand again, he is not just risen as son of God, he is risen as man. Yeah? Because it's only if we understand that he is risen as man that we begin to see the power of the resurrection and how it changes everything and can indeed give us a vital living hope. Because if he simply rises as God, I still have no real hope in Jesus. It is the fact that he has risen as man. So he came, he took on flesh, he hasn't let go of that. He rises as man. And he ascends into heaven so that, as the old saints used to say, today there is a man in the glory. And that gives you and I the greatest hope that we could possibly have. Because there's been that someone has come and he has lived here for us. He has lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, that we all should have lived. He, have li- he has lived out that covenant life with God. And then he has taken all that was wrong about us into his humanity and he has died. He has borne the curse. He has borne winter for us. And then, and then he rises again. He rises again, and brothers and sisters, the curse is broken. It is broken. Hallelujah. So never underestimate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. 
as a human being. He is risen and exalted into the very presence of God. And he is reigning, fulfilling humanity's original intention. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of God is back on track. That should give us great encouragement when we read the news events. Oh yeah, the enemy may well stir up things here and there, but we know that Jesus is king. He is king. He is king. I love it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it says that as a result of the death of Aslan, death itself starts working backwards. <laughs> and you've got, you and I have got little tastes of that this side of eternity. In our salvation, in healings, in deliverance, in the grace of God being manifested in our lives at this moment in time, the death, death is working backwards because we have been given new life in Jesus Christ. Wow, this is, this is a great gospel, isn't it? It's really great. Wow. So, death itself starts working backwards. The curse has been undone in Jesus Christ. The new kingdom has come and is coming and will come. And so, as we move on in this particular, uh, in this particular chapter, I'm going to go down to verses uh, 35 uh, and to 58. 35 to 58. Thirty-five to fifty-eight. Someone will ask, "How will the dead be raised?" That's a big question. How is this going to happen? And what kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question! When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body He wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. There's one kind for humans and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth and the glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory while the the moon and the stars, they each have another kind and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. I like that. They're planted, they're sown in the ground. (laughs) We don't very often think like that, do we, at funerals? But they are are planted, they are sown in the ground. It's temporary. But they will be raised to live forever. Wonderful. Our bodies are are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They they are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. And the scripture tells us the first man, Adam, he he became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, he is a life-giving spirit. And what comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. 
Adam, the, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, he came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. And just as, we now, just as we're now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Hallelujah. That's our hope, brothers and sisters. It really, really is. So spiritual bodies, it doesn't mean that we are spirits. I remember being in a community group. It wasn't one in this church, by the way, just so that any of you start thinking who this might be. Um, but I remember being in a community group a number of years ago, and, and someone said that they, they thought heaven, we're going to be like ghosts. You know, just woo, woo, you know? Like spirits just floating and kind of no real sort of shape or form to us. And, and it's like, woo. And, and they, they said they weren't that really keen on going to heaven. And I thought, well, I, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> if that's your vision of heaven, then, then God help you. And if that's the reality of heaven, God help us. But brothers and sisters, the reality of heaven is so much more than that. We will be more alive than what we are at this moment in time. Amen? We will have identity and personality. God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth and the old things, are, they're going to pass away. There'll be no more sickness and no more tears and no more death as, as Revelation says. But the reality is it's not going to be a spiritual, spooky, ghostly, mystical experience. It's going to be very real and it's going to be very exciting. I hope you're getting ready for it. Yeah? Now that's something I think I can get ready for. But being a spook is not. Okay? So it's, it's a very real, it's going to be a very real humanity. When Paul refers to flesh and blood, he's referring to the fallen humanity. He's, re- referring not, he's not referring to what we will be hereafter. We are given a spiritual body. We have a body, and it's defined as spiritual. That is the descriptive word of it. But it is a real, transformed, physical body, animated totally by the Spirit of God. We will no longer be animated in any way by fallenness. There will be no backstabbing in the kingdom of God. There will be no bitterness. There will be no resentment. There will be none of that kind of stuff that occurs because of fallen flesh. Because we're part of this broken world. Some of us have a job to feel alive at the moment, don't we? Eh? There's, a little, there's a little cartoon. Uh, it's been going around on, on, on Facebook, I believe. Uh, um, Snoopy, isn't it? Um, Peanuts cartoon. Peanuts cartoon. And, and there's, there's Charlie Brown sitting there, and he just says, well, one day we're all going to die. One day we're all going to die. And little old Snoopy says, but in the meanwhile... Something like this, every day we're living. Yeah. So we need to learn to start living this side of heaven because this is what Paul is driving at. Because the power of this resurrection not only transforms the nature of what is to come, but it impacts us in the present. And it enables us to live a different kind of life. Wow. So it's not about disembodiment. Uh, but re-embodiment or transformed embodiment. Oh, I love those words at the end of the chapter there. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Verse 51. We will not all die, 
we will be that we will all be transformed. At this moment in time, as far as this particular age continues, we will die. But one day that will change. We will arrive at a particular day when people will stop dying and suddenly an event takes place. Jesus comes. And you look at this and it says here, we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Those who have died and those who are still alive. Wow. That's some day to look forward to, isn't it? It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye or the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Trumpets in the Bible very often announce the coming of the Lord. And one day there will be a trumpet. That's not a very good one, but there we go. That'll do for now. But one day there will be the last trumpet when God announces his final coming. And it says in that moment, something dramatic will happen. The dead in Christ will rise. Wow. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die, and our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. A scripture that is read at nearly every funeral. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's wonderful, isn't it? And so he closes in this way. He says, so then, so my my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Be strong. Be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. Wow. Some of you have been weary in the things of of Christ, in the gospel. And God would say to you this morning, get the bigger vision. See again the power of his resurrection. See the glory and the vastness of it. See the living hope that we are living and serving for. And so, brothers and sisters, be strong. Don't be moved in your faith. Work enthusiastically for the Lord. Be about the Master's business, knowing that He indeed is indeed truly the Lord of glory. The man in the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think we've got a song, song to finish, have we? It would be good to go out with a song, wouldn't it? If you don't know Jesus this morning and you'd like to know Jesus, you can know the truth of this good message before you go home. It took place for someone last week in a moment here. It can happen for you. Just come and talk to me or one of the others that you've seen here, Matt or whoever, or someone you've come with. And we'll be happy to point you to the Saviour 
so that you can know God's forgiveness in your life, so that you can know his changing power. Let's stand, shall we? And let's worship him. And let's celebrate this glorious gospel.